Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you today. Uh, it's nice. It's cooling off a little bit. I feel like fall is just around the corner. We're almost there. So we are walking into our last week of this series, If I Really Believed. And we, we've covered a lot of things as we've gone through this series, but maybe there's one thing we have not hit on yet that is, is something that is inevitable to have, that is inevitable, inevitably going to happen to every single one of us. It's an inevitable piece of every one of our lives. It may not be happening to you right now. I promise it will happen at some point. It is when something you do not plan on, something that you are not aware of, sweeps into your life and takes over. Uh, th there are these moments where you'll be cruising along and everything is going as well as you can imagine. You feel like your life is what it's supposed to be. And out of nowhere, a storm will sweep into your path and mess it up. Now, on the one hand, storms can be incredibly exciting, right? I love the rain. I love driving in the rain. I love walking in the rain. I love the clouds. Um, I have a special playlist I made on Spotify just for when it's raining. Anybody else do that kind of thing? Music they like to listen to. I have a sweatshirt I like to wear when it's raining. Anybody else have stuff like that? Am I the only one? Storms can be fun, but storms can be kind of disastrous too. Uh, I've mentioned before that for about four years, Andrea and I were at a church in Las Vegas, and it doesn't rain much in the desert, but when it does, it's usually not good. Lightning, like you have never seen before. I, I had never been scared of lightning until I moved to Vegas. There's nothing tall in the desert, except for hotels and casinos. Uh, there are no trees or hills that, that, that buffer the bolts. Vegas is a huge valley, and when lightning strikes in a huge valley, it hits houses. Um, we had some friends, lightning struck their bedroom in the middle of the night. I mean, the roof, the bedroom ceiling shattered open, house catches on fire. That happens all the time in the desert. Now, you wouldn't think that there's much to burn there, that it's all sand, but it's not. It's, it's Joshua trees, and it's, it's cactuses or cacti or however you say that. And, and it's all this very dry desert shrubbery. And every year, there are these massive fires in the desert after these lightning storms. At night, you look one way, and you see the glow of the Las Vegas Strip, and then you look the other way, and you see the red glow in the mountains from the fires. Storms can be dangerous, and sometimes it's obvious danger, like lightning, fire, and other times, it's the danger that comes when you're not really aware. The thing about the desert is that it's so dry, and there are so few real plants that, that nothing really soaks up the water. And so even when you get a small storm, uh, a quick storm, it can be very dangerous. When it rains, even if it's just, even just a half an hour, there will be flash floods, and the road you're on will turn into a river. Um, when we first moved there, I would see these billboards that would show a car in the puddle, and it would say, don't do it. And, and the city actually has these advertising slogans, campaigns for people like me who are from out of town to tell us, do not drive in the puddles, because there's a great chance the puddle will turn into a river and carry you away. It happens every time it storms. That's probably how this car got where it got. And this storm is a great metaphor for a truth about your life. It is inevitable you will come across one, right? Or, or maybe I should say, one will come across you. Matthew 5.45 says, God causes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good, and he pours the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, everyone's going to have a storm. You will lose a job that you really loved and you really wanted. 
You will get into a jam financially and, and, and have an emergency that you can't afford. You will have the rug pulled out from under you with someone that you are close to, somebody you've trusted, you've come to depend on. You will have something stolen, lost, destroyed. You will feel like you are in a puddle that is turning into a river and you have been swept away. And what you need to know is that in that storm, what happens between you and God can be a defining moment in your life. But for it to be the kind of defining moment that ends well, well, that has to do with what you believe God does with storms. Um, I'm not a bird person. Uh, Andrea is. Andrea can look at a bird and she can be like, that's a double-crested cormorant. Like right away, it's super annoying when she does it. To me, they are all just birds, right? Uh, or I take guesses as to what kind of bird it is based on the color. Like, that's a blackbird. That's a bluebird. Uh, if I want to sound more intelligent with the names of actual types of birds, I will throw some out. But the truth is I only know actual names from sports teams. So I will say, that's a seahawk. That's a, that's a cardinal over there. That's an oriole. Uh, that's a mighty duck. Uh, anyway, I read not too long ago that in East Tennessee, there is a bird called the golden-winged warbler. And researchers noticed that these birds would occasionally do something really unusual right after their chicks would hatch. They would flee their nests, sometimes leaving their chicks behind. Now, they wouldn't do this all the time. They wouldn't even do it most of the time. But sometimes every single warbler in East Tennessee would take off for days. So researchers started putting these little geolocators on these tiny birds. By the way, these birds are so small, they weigh less than two nickels. But they can carry these geolocators on their backs. And what they found was that these birds would fly 900 miles in five days. 900 miles, leaving their nest behind. Five days, 900 miles. And the reason? It was always to avoid tornado-producing storms that swept into eastern Tennessee. Somehow, these little birds knew in advance that a storm was coming, and they left the scene before the storms would blow in. Well, Scientists believe there must be some kind of low-frequency sound from a storm that alerts them, and they get a warning. A tornado is on its way. Well, like these little birds, I wonder if some of us see a storm coming and we run. Because we don't really believe that God calms storms. In fact, I, I think some of us believe God should have put a warning system in us to help us avoid all the storms of life. And what happens is we expect the warning to go off before a storm comes. Or better, we expect God to help us flee a storm. And when neither of those things happen, we lose faith. Now, maybe that has happened to you. Maybe it's happening right now. If not, maybe you know someone that when a storm comes into their life, if the storm is big enough, they say, this is evidence that God does not care about me, isn't looking out for me. God doesn't have the power to help me. And they lose faith, which unfortunately is the very thing they need in the storm. I, I see it all the time. And, and I don't know if you would say that right now you're in a storm or if a storm is going to be coming in your life. But here is what I want to tell you today. God does not spare you storms. He stills your storms. He doesn't spare you storms. He stills your storms. And I want to show you what he does and what needs to happen in you for you to let God steal yours. 
The passage that we're going to look at this morning is in the book of Luke. Although I'll tell you, um, this snapshot, this scene of Jesus and the disciples, we find it in Matthew and Mark as well. And, and right before the scene that we're about to look at, Jesus has been preaching and telling stories. It, it has been a long day doing both of those things. And Mark, who seems way more concerned about chronological order, he actually says what we're about to read happens at the end of a very long day in the evening. Whereas Luke, where we're going to read this, he just writes this. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and they set out. Now, this is important. When the scene we're about to look at gets told, this verse often gets left out. P people think, well, this verse is just an explanation of why Jesus and his guys get into a boat in the first place. What really matters is what happens in the boat. But you're going to see this line is actually incredible. Incredibly important. This story really begins with Jesus saying, let's go over to the other side. He has a plan for them to do something on the other side of the sea. Now, I have been like racking my brain all week to think of a way to help us collectively remember this line about the other side because everybody forgets it. So I want to just put a visual to it. Here is a rudimentary drawing of a boat and a sea, and the boat is on the left side of the sea, and Jesus begins this event saying to them what we just read, let's go to the other side. All right, would you say other side with me so we get this? Other side. All right, now that we've got that, let's keep reading. Verse 23 says, as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep, and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Um, I like the way that Matthew words this better. He says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, Luke says squall. That's a good word for this. We're going to put a squall behind me. Matthew says furious storm, also a good phrase. They're the same thing, and you get the picture. But the reason that I wanted to show you Matthew's version, I want to tell you what the Greek word is that he used to describe this event. He uses the word seismos. Now, will you say that with me? Seismos. You say it. Seismos. Now, I, I took like uh, six years of ancient Greek. I, I took it in college, forgot everything I learned over the summer, figured I better take it again in grad school. Uh, thank God for ancient Greek to English dictionaries, because I still don't remember the vast majority of what I learned. But you don't have to know ancient Greek to know seismos probably has something to do with what? Did somebody say seismos? Yes, yeah, seismos has to do with seismos, but, but what else? Come on, you know this. Earthquakes, right, an earthquake with, with something shaking a quake. Seismos is where we get the modern word seismic that we use when we're describing earthquakes. Now, Matthew is not saying that an earthquake happened while they were at sea, not at all. But, but with that word, he's painting a picture that the boat is being shaken. And more than that, more than that, that the people on it are being internally shaken. Something is going on and it's not good. The storm is not just happening out there. It's happening in here. Look at this. He says the waves swept over the boat. He's saying the storm didn't just stay out there. It came into their safe place. It shook them in here. Luke uses the word danger at the end of that. Okay, the Greek word there means that their lives were at risk. Now, before we go on, just looking at that one verse, can we state the obvious about me and about you? Storms shake you. 
They get into your safe places and they make you feel like your life is at risk. By the way, if it's not your life, your livelihood is at risk. If it's not that, it's your life as you know it is at risk. When the water starts sweeping over the thing that, that you thought would keep you afloat, would save you, no wonder you panic. And that's what the disciples do. Luke writes, the disciples went and they woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Now this is interesting. Because these disciples, some of them, were professional fishermen. Like they're not strangers to boats and strangers to storms at sea. Put on your big boy pants, take some Dramamine, get back to work. But they, even the professional fishermen, are freaking out. This is like deadliest catch stuff going on out there. But there is good news. They've got Jesus. Now, let me stop right there. If you, knowing what you know today, took a three-hour tour out into the Pacific Ocean and the weather started getting rough and the tiny ship that you were on was tossed, you also would cry out to Jesus, wouldn't you? I would cry out to Jesus. That would be the first thing I'd do. Jesus, take the wheel. And I would pray for Jesus to come and to save us. But they don't have to cry out and pray because they have the actual Jesus there on the boat. They don't need to pray. They just need to know that he is there. And they're still panicked. All right, you ever get on a plane and look around to see who else is on there? Um, I'm afraid to fly. I do it, but I hate it. So what I do when I get on a plane is I look around and I see who's on the plane with me. And I think, is there anyone on here that looks so important to God that he will not let this plane go down? <laughs> and I will look and I'll go, oh good, there's a nun on the plane. God wouldn't let anything happen to a nun. We got a nun and he needs her. So he's got a plan for her. We're going to be fine. This is all terrible theology, by the way. I do not believe certain people are more important to God than other people. But I will tell you, when I'm on an airplane, my theology goes out the window. All of it. Okay, well, if I were on this boat, I would go, we've got Jesus on the boat. Nothing's going to happen to this boat. I mean, even if they do not know yet that Jesus can do what we all know they're about to see him do, they've got Jesus this boat is not going to sink. It's too important. But that's not registering because as much as there is a storm out there, there is a storm happening in here. And let's just stop again right here with this verse. I believe there's something really important God has for you in this, that sometimes the storm that might need to be stilled is not the one out there. It is the one in you. As much as we tend to focus on the storms out there that come into our lives, that we need God to calm so those storms are going to leave us alone, so those storms will get out of our way. I will just say, the storms that tend to do the most damage are the ones inside us. When we let the storm inside us rage and rage and rage, it can lead to all sorts of damage in our lives. In fact, if you want to know somebody's character, if you want to know someone's maturity, like those of you here who are dating someone or, or maybe you're in some kind of leadership, you're looking to hire people, do not look for somebody who somehow has managed to never have storms come into their life. They are lying to you, right? And don't look for people who tell you that while the storm was out there, it never got to them in here. They are lying to you. Look for people who are able to let God still the storm that they feel inside. Is that you? I'll tell you, the beginning of God doing his thing is recognizing, you recognizing that as much as there are storms out there, God is far more concerned about the storms 
that are happening in each of us. All right, the disciples are panicked, but good news, Jesus is on board, except for one thing, he's asleep. Now, I love that all three writers mentioned that Jesus is asleep. How can somebody sleep through this? Water's coming over the side. They think they're going to die. But what this tells us is Jesus is either an incredibly sound sleeper, like a bear in hibernation, or he's not worried. I don't know about you. When I worry, I cannot sleep. Um, I am wired. My mind is going all day long. When I lie down in bed at night, I simply cannot like shut my mind off. I have to do multiple things, like TV or podcasts. Uh, sometimes I'll put on the sound of ocean waves. I have to do things to distract my brain so I can get myself to fall asleep. I found this, uh, this app recently, and it has certain sounds that you can pick from to just kind of quiet your thoughts, drown them out. A waterfall sound, rain on the roof uh, sound, vacuum. Um, vacuum is really good. The, the problem is now whenever somebody's vacuuming, I get really tired very quickly. But, but sleep is the sign of something, an untroubled mind, right? Things are going well. I can sleep. Nothing to worry about. I'm going to fall right asleep. So it's not a coincidence that Jesus is sleeping through this storm. But the disciples are bothered by this. Two of the writers say that they wake him up going, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Or master, we're going to drown. But Mark has the most honest description. He says, the disciples woke Jesus and they said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I love his honesty. Jesus, what's your deal? We're dying up here. And, and I think it's revealing. Sometimes in the storm, we feel like God is asleep, don't we? We feel like he's not even paying attention. We feel like he's not seeing all of the things we are doing to try to pull ourselves out of this thing. That Jesus is asleep is an interesting part of this narrative, isn't it? Certainly, because all of us can relate to feeling like God is asleep in our storms. But also... Because maybe this is an invitation. Maybe in the midst of the storm, Jesus wants us to know that we can find rest and that he is in control and that he has the power to save us. Maybe for some of you right now, he, he is modeling in this verse what your life can look like in this storm. Rest, sleep, he's got this. Again, they wake Jesus up. They say, Jesus, don't you care that we are all about to die? And so Luke 8, verse 24, Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Mark adds that he said to the waves, peace, be still. And the storm out there calms and the fear in here calms. And then Jesus says that famous line, Matthew 8, 26, he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Now, that feels unfair, right? I mean, the boat's taking on water. That's why they're afraid. They had seen him do miracles, but they had not yet seen him command wind and waves. That's why they're afraid. No one in their world had ever calmed the storm before. That's why they're afraid. It is fair to have a little faith. Is, is it fair for him to question their faith and ask them why they responded that, that way? Seems like a jerk move to me, frankly. <laughs> What's this about? Well, we tend to read this line and think this is Jesus saying, did you not have faith that I could calm a storm? 
Did you not have faith that, that I could save the day? Did you not have faith that I could rescue you? I don't believe that's the case. Do you remember what I asked you to remember earlier, way at the beginning of this? That little part of the story that everybody forgets, that it begins with Jesus saying what? Let's go over to the other side. This line is all about that. What Jesus is asking here is, if I said, let's go over to the other side, then why would you think I would let you drown in the middle? If I said that we have a mission, we have a plan, we have something we need to do, but it's going to involve us getting on the boat over here and going over there. And by the way, what I'll tell you, these disciples did not like the other side. The other side was an evil place with evil people, spirits, evil spirits. When they got to the other side, the first thing they saw was a man who was filled with demons. They were not wild about going over to the other side in the first place. And the sea, while they made their living on the sea, they believed the sea was a demonic abyss. They thought what happens under the surface of this water, it is just as dangerous as the bad stuff that happens on the other side. And we, disciples, we like to fish, fish closer to the shore near home. Remember, there are no motors on these boats. So their tendency, fish where like if we run into any problems with a storm or anything else, we can paddle in if we need to. And they were probably not wild about taking the boat to the other side because you never know what dark, scary thing can happen at sea. So when a storm does happen, it's evidence they made the wrong decision. It's evidence Jesus had a bad plan. It's evidence that we should have stayed at home. We should have played it safe. And Jesus says, where is your faith? Not because they didn't believe he could calm storms, but because if I say we're going to the other side, then I will not let you drown in the middle. And Crosswinds, that realization right there is everything. If you really believed that God calms storms, you would know that he wants to calm the one inside you and you would know that the middle is not the end of his plan. A few years ago, I was, I was talking to a woman here at our church, and she was feeling like God had called her to uh, leave the career she was in and go into ministry. Uh, he had set this call before her. She's supposed to go do this thing and be in full-time vocational ministry. And yet, it just felt like she had misfire after misfire. When she finally would go work at a church, it would turn out to be real toxic, and, and she had other opportunities that didn't pan out. And she was ready to get up, give up, and she said, God, if you really want this for me, you have got to make it easier. You can't keep me running up against these roadblocks. And she said, Chris, maybe I heard God wrong all along. And I said, possibly, possibly, and you should explore that. But it's also possible that this is not the end. And you've got to have some faith that, that God has got a plan to get you where he's called you to go. He will not let you drown in the middle. Let me give you something today that I think, I think might be easy to remember. Don't doubt in the storm what you heard in the calm. When you find yourself in a storm, it is so easy to question whether or not God got it right, or you were right, or whether he's asleep, or whether or not you are where you're supposed to be. And I think what Jesus says when he says to these disciples, ye of little faith, he says, do not doubt in the storm what God told you in the calm. 
Let me show you how this ends. Luke writes, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. It actually ends with the disciples being afraid again. But this time, less of a quake afraid and more of an awe afraid. They have a healthy fear of what Jesus can do. And you got to think, as they leave this storm, they are going, oh my gosh, what more is coming that God wants to do in our lives? What will he do next? All right, if you will indulge me another bird illustration as we wrap up. Did you know that the gray-headed albatross can circle the entire globe in only 46 days? That is crazy to me. Or, or that somebody logged an alpine swift flying for 200 straight days before it landed anywhere. It ate insects as it flew through the air through over Western Africa. The question, how can any bird have the energy to fly uninterrupted for 200 days? Or, or another one, circle the globe in 46. When do they sleep? Okay, scientists have found they sleep while they're in the air flying. And that, in fact, it's the winds that they search out that keep them flying. The albatross specifically needs storm-strong winds to keep it flying in the air. In calm seas, they aren't able to get airborne at all. An albatross sitting on the water flaps its awkward wings, and then it hopes that the wind will carry it up. And if there's a particularly calm season of very smooth weather conditions, it can even prevent this bird from migrating. They have got to have storms. All right, I wonder if we need storms too. I wonder if strong winds and troubled waters, that is where we learn to ride the currents of faith and of grace. And I wonder if to get where you're going, God isn't going to spare you storms He's going to still the ones in you and use the ones out there to get you where you want to go, where he wants you to go. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together. I want to just pray for you as we go. God, as we face the storms that are in our lives right now or the ones that are coming our way, may we know you are here in the middle of the squall with us. God, may we know that you will not leave us to drown. May we know you still storms, especially the ones inside us. God, I, I ask today for my friends who, who feel like there is a storm raging inside them with their fears and their worries and their anxieties. God, would you still the wind and the waves? And then God, May we live assured that what you've promised in the calm holds true in the storm. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you for coming this week. We'll see you next week.